I want to encourage you to continue to pray for our country and for our president every day, not just once a week. Uh, I've asked all of our life groups to, to have a time of prayer every week. Some churches are having prayer meetings during the week, and uh, I felt that the best way for us to do it was through our life groups. We have life groups meeting at all times during the week, Sunday nights, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We have some in the morning, some in the evening. We have men's groups, women's groups, family groups. We have uh, uh, young adult groups, youth groups. So I thought rather than having maybe one meeting at the church or having a, a meeting here, the best way to do it would be through our life groups. So every life group will be having a time of prayer every week until the war is over. So that's what we're asking you to do, is if you would like to attend a prayer meeting during the week for our country, to just attend one of the life groups. Now, I have a, a dual purpose in doing this. Actually, I should say the Lord does, because the Lord's the one that told me to do it. And that is that our church, in just the last few months, has gone from around 1,200 in attendance to over 1,700. That means we have 500 new people attending the church, and you need to get plugged in. Half of church are the weekend services. The other half are the life groups. So I am encouraging you to go to the life group, to meet the rest of your family. One, someone said to me, I feel like I'm at home here, but I haven't met my family yet. Well, we want you to meet your family. So uh, on the back table, I think the table is out in the foyer because we've had to bring in extra chairs and all. Uh, but right out in the foyer on the left, when you leave, there are all these maps. If you'll just, if you want to attend the prayer meeting, plus you need to get in the life group, just pick up one of those maps and then you can attend at any time this week. All right? Uh, turn to Acts chapter one and First John chapter one. All right? We're going to begin at Acts chapter one, and then we're going to flip over to First John chapter one toward the later in the message. You know, we're going to go through other scripture. All of them will be on the PowerPoint. If you didn't bring your Bible, all the scriptures will be on the PowerPoint. But if you do have a Bible, I would encourage you to bring it every week. I would encourage you to get the notes out of the bulletin, the sermon notes. When I start the message, get your pen out and be ready to write down the things that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And then maybe even go over the scriptures during the week as well and, and let the Lord reiterate the truth to you. Acts chapter 1, that's where we'll begin, and then we'll go to 1 John 1. Now, I don't know if you heard about, but I heard the story a long time ago about a, a hillbilly that had four sons, four great big boys, all over six feet tall. And he called his sons together one day, and he said to them, Now, boys, I, I want to know which one of you threw the outhouse in the river. And none of the boys said anything or raised their hands or made any motion at all. And so he said, boys, I want to tell you a story. When George Washington was a little boy, he cut down his pa's cherry tree. And when his pa asked him about it, he told the truth so his pa didn't whoop him. Now I want to ask you again, which one of you boys threw the outhouse in the river? And so one of the boys raised his hand, and the hillbilly grabbed him and took him down to the woodshed and whooped him real good. After he whooped him, the boy said, I thought you said George Washington's paw didn't whoop him because he told the truth. He said, well, George Washington's paw wasn't in the cherry tree when he chopped it down.
Now, all he was trying to get the boy to do was, was tell the truth. Well, let me tell you what my purpose is in this message. My purpose is simply to get you to just tell the truth about what's happened in your life. Just tell someone what God has done for you. The title of the message is, Witnessing is Easy. It is the easiest thing for Christians to do. If you believe otherwise, you've been deceived by the enemy. The enemy has deceived you with fear or insecurity or with some type of, of uh, false illusion that witnessing is not the easiest thing for a believer to do. It is the easiest thing for a believer to do. Now, listen, we're not talking about evangelism, the gift of evangelism. The gift of an, ev- of a, of an evangelist is an equipping gift for the body of Christ. But every person can witness. Now, let me ask you some questions. Do you believe that every Christian needs to pray? Great. Three of you believe that. Do you? Let me ask you one more time. Do you believe that every Christian needs to pray? Yeah, but we have people who have the gift of intercession. See, what if you don't have the gift of intercession? Should you still pray? Okay, what about, do you believe every Christian should read their Bible? And study their Bible, right? Yeah, but we have teachers. That's what they do. They study and teach and study, and they love to study, and they have Bible programs and commentaries and all that, and you may not have that gift, so you probably don't need to study the Bible. See, you still need to study the Bible because you're a Christian. Is that right? You still should pray because you're a Christian. Listen to me. Every Christian should witness. It's not evangelism. It's not a gift. It's not an office. It's not a ministry I'm talking about. All I'm talking about is simply telling someone what's happened in your life, and it is the easiest thing to do. When you leave here today... You will have no excuse. I'm taking away all your excuses. You should not come today. (laughs) Because I'm going to take all your excuses away. You will have no excuse when you stand before God of why you did not witness. Because it is the easiest thing to do. And I'm going to help you in this. I'm going to show you how easy it is to witness. And I'm going to teach you how to do it in this message. All right? Now, Acts chapter 1. Everybody there? Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them... He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, he is talking about the power of the Spirit coming upon them. Therefore, when they come together, they asked him, saying, notice they're on a totally different subject. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, and he, now this is Jesus, because this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 7, not verse 8, even though it's favorite one too. Verse 7 is, and he said to them, it is not for you to know. Now, we're going to, I'm just going to reiterate that for a moment because I'm not sure you've caught that yet. Jesus said, it's not for you to know. Now, let me just say it another way. It's not for you to write a book about 88 reasons why he's coming back in 88. It's not for you to know. It is not for you to... You're still not catching it yet. It's not for you to know. This is Jesus talking. It, now, you say, well, we shouldn't even discern the times. No, no, because he told us. He said, you ought to be able to discern the times. But it is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And that's talking about restoring the kingdom. That's what this is talking about. 
And then verse 8 starts with the word but. Now, I could have started with just verse 8, but you can't start with a verse in the Bible. It just has a but at the first of it. You've got to find out what he's butting about, see? And that's verse 7. They said, "Is it, are you going to, in other words, we are concerned about the coming of the kingdom. And this is what he said. You should be concerned about people. You should be concerned about ministering to people. That's what you should be concerned about. Listen, I promise you, when the second coming happens, you'll know it. You will then know the time of the second coming, once it happens. All right. It's not for you to know, but here's what is for you to know. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, look at verse 8 very carefully. There's a couple of things I want you to notice. Number one, you shall receive power. This is the Lord talking, so there are no buts about this, no ifs about this, no ands about this. You shall receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. Not you might receive power if you're one of the lucky ones, if you're one of the bold ones, if you have an outgoing personality anyway, then you might get some power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Every one of us, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive power. Do you agree with that? You shall receive power and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, now here's the other part. You shall be, be, I want you to notice the word be, be witnesses. He did not say, you shall do witnessing. He didn't say, I am implementing a new program in the church called witnessing. And when you go through the classes, you'll be able to do this. Listen to me very carefully. I'm going to make maybe a bold statement to you. You don't have to know the Bible to witness. You just have to know Jesus. Now you do need you need to know the Bible. Now I'm not saying you don't 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 study the Bible. You need to know the Bible to mature in your Christian walk. You need to know the Bible. But a person who's only been saved five minutes can witness. All you have to do to witness is tell what happened to you. That's it. That's all you have to do. You shall be witnesses. Now I want to just tell you something. Every one of you here are already a witness. The question is, are you a good witness? Can we, can we get you to just tell what's happened to you? Here's the problem, I think, with most Christians. When it comes to witnessing, I think they've taken the field. I, I, I plead the fifth in, uh, on the grounds that something I say might incriminate me. Listen, you were already incriminated. The point of witnessing is that somebody set you free. <laughs> Someone paid for your crimes. That's the whole point. So, we're going to talk about witnessing. Number one, what's a witness? Now, I could have put this definition in the notes, and I could have put it on the PowerPoint, but I didn't because I want you to write it down. <laughs> because if you write it, it's going to mean more to you. This is the definition of a witness. A witness is someone who communicates accurately his experience. A witness is someone who communicates accurately his experience. What he has personally seen and heard. Now, let me say that again. A, a witness is someone who communicates accurately his experience or his or her experience. Please don't get offended because I don't always say his and her. I grew up where it was grammatically correct when you said someone that you can't say their experience. You have, when you say one, you have to say his or her. So a witness is someone who communicates his or her experience. 
what he has personally seen or heard. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. And these words, seen and heard, are all through Scripture. They're all through Scripture. This is all you have to do to be a witness. is simply communicate what you personally have seen and heard. If we walk out of, after the service, if we walk out here in the parking lot, and let's say we're all standing out in the parking lot, and there's a car wreck out here, and they call us to court to be, what would they call us to court to be? Witness this. Will you have to go to witnessing school? No. Will you have to go to automobile school so you can learn all about brakes and why they failed and all that stuff? No. All they want you to do is tell the red one, hit the blue one. That's all they want. They just want you to tell what you personally have seen and heard. That's it. And the Bible backs this up. This phrase is, is all through the New Testament. And I just want to show you a few places where you'll see this phrase. Luke chapter 7, verse 22 says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. That you have seen and heard. And the blind see goes into all things. But what he said was, you can't go tell John anything that you personally haven't seen and heard. Just go tell him what you've seen and heard. John 3, verse 32 says, this is talking about Jesus, and what he has, what are these two words? Seen and heard that he testified. Listen very carefully to me. All Jesus was when he was on this earth was a witness. That the Son of God was simply came to this earth for one reason, just to be a witness. Just to tell everyone what he had seen the Father do and what he'd heard the Father say. That's it. He came and he was a witness for three years and it changed the whole world. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, they told him to stop preaching. Their answer was, verse 20, For we cannot but speak the things which we have, what? Seen and heard. We've got to tell what we've seen and heard. That's all we're doing. We're not going around trying to change people's religions or preach or, or argue with people. We're just telling you what we've seen and heard. And then when the Apostle Paul was called, Acts 22, when he's sharing his testimony about his call, he said, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. The greatest apostle that ever lived, all he was, was a witness. That was it. That's all he did everywhere he went. He told his testimony. That's Paul, the greatest apostle. All he did was a witness. And then first chapter, John chapter 1. Are you, are you over there? Flip over to first John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, this is John speaking on behalf of the disciples, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see what they're saying? The disciples are simply saying, John, representing them, is simply saying, the only thing that we're doing is telling you what we've seen and heard. We saw Him with our own eyes. We heard him with our own ears. We're simply telling you we have seen the Messiah. 
We have heard the Messiah. The reason that the disciples, their testimony was so compelling was because it was so personal. Because they said, listen, we've seen the Messiah. And they, they just, in, everywhere they went, people said, oh, we want what you've heard, we, we've seen. We want to hear what you've heard. Now, when you're a witness in court, if you say anything that you personally did not see and hear, you know what that's called? It's called hearsay. And hearsay is inadmissible evidence. In other words, it's not admissible in court. You can only testify about what you personally have seen and heard. Do you know why I believe that the world is throwing the witness of the church out? Because we're trying to testify about things that we personally haven't seen and heard. Now, I don't mean you say, well, we weren't around when Jesus walked. How can we? Well, we can present the gospel. There is power in the gospel. It is the power of the gospel. But that is really not witnessing. That's proclaiming the gospel. Let me tell you what witnessing is. Witnessing is, I was lost. I was lonely. I was insecure. I was in bondage. And Jesus set me free. The greatest, this is witnessing. Your testimony. That's all it is. And every one of you, if you met the Lord, you have a testimony. And here's the great thing about your testimony. No one can argue with your testimony. They, they, you need try. You don't talk about dinosaurs and all that stuff with people. Just talk about your testimony. No one can argue with your testimony. You can't argue with my testimony. You can go to the Longview Police Department, and there's a record of my testimony. <laughs> I was bad, and now I'm good. I was a non-productive member of society, and now I'm a productive member of society. My life was all messed up, and now my life is wonderful because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't argue with that. And no one can argue with your testimony either. Witnessing is simply telling your story. That's it. You're not trying to convince people. You're not trying to change your religion. What you're simply doing is saying, listen, I, I had cancer. And, and, and and I went to this hospital, and I'm just giving you a, an illustration. If you said to your coworkers, I had cancer, I went to this doctor, and he did this, and I don't have cancer anymore, they wouldn't get offended at that. They're not going to get offended at you because you're not, you're not trying to change their religion. You're not doing something wrong. You're not infringing on their rights. You're just telling them something that happened to you. That's what witnessing is. I was lonely. I was depressed. I was a very fearful and insecure person. And then someone told me it's not just believing in your head with, with, in God. It's giving him control of your life. And when I did that, my life changed. That, that's how easy it is. That's how simple it is. Simply tell people what's already happened to you. Now, all we have is our own story. Um, and obviously, we learn a little bit more about what happened to us. When first time, when you first get saved, depending on your background, you may not know that much. But I just want you to know your your testimony is still powerful. Uh, we we use our own story. I, I heard about a lady that got saved uh, when she was trying to commit suicide. She is going to commit suicide, and she put her head in the oven, turned the gas on, and she said, "God, I'm going to give you one last chance. If you're if you're real, please reveal yourself to me." And the Holy Spirit began to reveal how he had worked and drawn in her whole life. She began to weep and cry with her head in the oven and got saved. And the next day, she's telling her neighbor about it. And her neighbor said, I want to get saved. So she said to her neighbor, come over here. Put your head in the oven. Put, put, put your head right down here. 
and your life will flash before your eyes, and then you just begin to cry, and you tell God you're sorry, and that's how you get fixed. That's, it's okay. It's probably not the best way, you know, to lead people to the Lord. But what was compelling about her story was her life was changed. And you never want to lose that. That's what witnessing is. That's what a witness is. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. A witness doesn't argue. Listen carefully to me. Truth does not need to be argued. It needs to be presented. I'm going to say that again. Truth doesn't need to be argued. It only needs to be presented. The truth will do its work. Don't argue with unbelievers. Don't argue about the dinosaurs and politics and, and all that sort of stuff. That is the enemy's tool. Every time, just stick with the facts. The facts are that you used to be a jerk and now you're not. <laughs> That's the facts. That you met the Lord Jesus Christ and changed your life. And I'm telling you, Satan will do everything he can to get you off. Well, what about the, how old the earth is? And what about it? You, 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 you. Listen, here's what I told the guy one time. He was doing everything he could to argue. And, I, and boy, the Holy Spirit just cut through. And I said to him, I said, let me just listen to me very carefully. I was miserable, and you are too. And you know you're miserable. And when you want to not be miserable anymore, then you call me because I do have the answer. And three days later, he called me and said, I'm tired of being miserable. That's the point. He was telling, arguing with me, all this stuff, just trying to argue. I said, that, all that stuff doesn't matter. The point is you're miserable. And you need the Lord. See, don't argue with people. And let me, let me just explain something to you. It, it, it amazes me how we get upset over sin as far as when sinners sin. That absolutely blows me away. Um, it doesn't bother me when sinners sin because that's what sinners do. Let me, let me give you a, a revelation. Now, this is one I want you to write down. I don't want you to ever, ever, ever forget what I'm about to tell you, all right? So make sure you write this down. This is going to be one of the deepest revelations that I ever give you, all right? Write this down. Dogs bark. This is important. Dogs bark. Cats meow. And sinners sin. Listen to the word. If you want to know what sinners do, listen to the word carefully. Sinners. Hunters hunt. Golfers, and don't say sin. Golf. Golfers golf. Hunters hunt. Sinners sin. And here's what's amazing to me. We get upset and we argue. Don't argue about a sinner about who he voted for. Sinners vote for the wrong candidates. <laughs> Why argue about it with them? Don't argue. And I'm serious. Don't argue with a sinner about abortion. They don't have a renewed mind. They don't have a new nature. They have a sin nature. Show them the love of Christ, they'll change their views on abortion. Just share with them what Christ, share them what He's done for you. See, I think the, the problem is we expect something out of sinners we shouldn't expect. When you're standing in your front yard talking to your neighbor, just talking to him and he's drinking a beer, 
don't you dare say anything about the beer. Because the beer is not the problem. I'm going to tell you something. That's not even the problem for God because God is taking care of all sin. He just wants people to believe. And, he, and here's what Romans told us two weeks ago. I can't, this is what he said. I can't get anyone to believe unless I can get someone to tell them. He's just waiting for us to tell them. When I think about how sinners sin, we get all upset about it. The first time I went out in the country, and many of you have probably been in, in other countries, um, if you haven't been in another country, let me explain something to you. And if you have, then you, you will immediately know what I'm talking about. In the, in other countries, most third world countries, they have lines, you know, like we do on the highway, but they don't mean anything. You'll come up to an intersection and there will be three lanes there for cars and there'll be four cars and three motorcycles there. They, they drive everywhere they want to. They, the lines don't mean anything at all. They just drive all over the place. I was in Costa Rica first time, and I was riding with this missionary, and we were just zipping through these stop signs. I mean, just shoo, 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 stop signs just going by. And so I said to him, they're stop signs. He said, oh, we don't stop at stop signs. I said, why don't you stop at stop signs? He said, because someone will run into the back of you. And so about three days later, I was driving, and he was in the front seat. I came up to a stop sign, and I just went through it, and this bus was coming, and we went, whoa, like this. And the missionary said, oh, my Jesus, you know, and he got all upset, and, and he said to me, yells at me, he said, why didn't you stop? I said, because there was a stop sign. He said, that stop sign, we stop at. Well, after a few days, I said to him, you, you must have a lot of wrecks. So this was my first time. This was 1985. First time I'd ever been out of the country. And, and you know, you just, after I said, you must have a lot of wrecks. And he said, oh, no, we have very few wrecks. And you know what I found out? You know who's number one in automobile wrecks in the world? We are. And so I got to thinking, I was trying to figure this out. God, they drive all over the place. Why? How come they don't have, how come we have more wrecks? Here's why. They, ex they don't expect people to stay in the lines. They're watching for you. When they come up to an intersection, they expect you to run the stop sign. See, we expect people to stop when there's a stop sign, right? We expect people to stay in the line. As a matter of fact, if someone just gets close to the line, ha, ha, hey, 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 get in your line. Isn't that right? You are getting close to my lane, buddy. Because we expect them to stay in the lines, right? Listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Stop expecting sinners to stay in the lines. They don't know they're in the lines. The only reason you know they're lines is because of God's grace in your life. And telling you, you'll be able to witness a whole lot better if you don't let sin that sinners do bother you. Don't worry about it. Just love the person. You say, yeah, but this guy's cheating on his wife. That's what sinners do. They sin. Yeah, but this guy cheated the company out of money. That's what sinners do. And you'd be doing the same thing without God's grace in your life.
Just love them. Just minister to them. And let me tell you something else about not arguing about truth. Again, we just need to present it. But it is true. And listen carefully to me. Uh, I know that you're thinking, some of you may be thinking, well, I'll never be as good as you at witnessing. Well, I'm going to tell you why some of you may not be as good as I am right now. You haven't practiced as much as I have. Because I do it everywhere I go. And I'm telling you, you can be as good or better than I am if you practice more than I do. Just practice. Just do it over, just do it all the time. You just tell your story over and over and again. I mean, I've told my story in elevators. I've told my story in, in gas stations. I've told my story in the post office. And I've gotten my story down. I can tell my story in 10 seconds. You know, when I was in uh, Bible college, they taught us how to do a 30-minute testimony and a 10-minute testimony. Who is going to wait 10 minutes for you to share your testimony? We, we are in a fast-paced society. And so I started teaching people to do a three-minute, and that wasn't fast enough. So I started teaching them one minute. Now I teach people to do a 10-second testimony. 10-second testimony is I grew up in church, but my life was a wreck. And finally, when I gave him control, that's when everything changed. And I, I'm telling you, I've shared that everywhere. And I've had people say, what do you mean you gave him control? Well, now I got him. Now I can do the 10-minute version. <laughs> But you don't have to argue, but you do have to present truth. Let me tell you how what I mean by this. I had a guy say to me one time, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. And I said, you're an atheist? He said, yeah. I don't believe in God. I said, you know what? We got something in common. He said, really? What? I said, I don't believe in atheists. <laughs> he said, what do you mean you don't believe in atheists? I said, well, there's no such thing as an atheist. So I can't believe you don't know that. Now listen to me, I'm not arguing, I'm just presenting the truth to the guy. This is true. There, you can't, there is no such thing as an atheist. It's impossible. It is scientifically impossible to be an atheist. It's impossible. And the guy said, what do you mean it's impossible to be an atheist? I said, well, do you know the definition of the word atheist? I said, an atheist is a person who makes the statement, there is no God. I said, you can be an agnostic, but you can't be an atheist. An agnostic comes from the Greek word gnosko, which means to know, and it means I don't know if there's a God. An agnostic makes the statement, I don't know if there's a God. But an atheist makes the statement, there is no God, so therefore you, you, you can't be an atheist. He said, I can make that statement. I said, no, you can't. I said, in order to make that statement, of course, the guy said, why? You know, I got the guy. I got him, man. He said, what do you mean? I said, in order to make the statement, there is no God, you'd have to have all knowledge. And I said, how much of all knowledge do you think the smartest man in the world possesses? I said, now wait, before you answer that, think about all science. All science, including all the facts of the universe, all the facts of the earth, all the facts of the planets, all the facts of the stars, all science, all mathematics, all algebra, all algebra 2, all geometry, all trigonometry, all calculus, all mathematics. All language, not only just all language, but all languages of, of the whole world and all history, all history of every culture that has ever existed or ever will exist. How much do you think the smartest man in the world possesses of all knowledge? It's what I asked this guy. And he said to me, he said probably less than 1%. I said, well, let's just say it's 1%. And let's say that you're the smartest guy in the whole world. And he said, I'm not. I said, I know. But let's just say you are. <laughs> let's say you're the smartest guy in the whole world. You possess 1% of all knowledge. I said, I'm going to ask you a question, and you need, I want you to tell me the truth. Is there the possibility in the 99% of all knowledge that you do not possess, there's a God? And he said, 
Yeah, that possibility exists. I said, that's why you can't say there is no God. You cannot be an atheist. You mean agnostic? And he said, well, then I'm an agnostic. I said, okay. Now, what you're saying to me is you don't know if there's a God. I said, now, let me ask you a question. Be real honest. If there is a God, if there is, I'm not saying there is, if there is, though, would you like to know something about it? And he said, well, yeah, I guess if there is a God, I would. I said, would you like to talk to someone who knows him personally? He said, yes, I would. I said, you're talking to someone. I said, let me tell you. I, this guy was hanging on every word I said. I said, let me tell you about my life. And I told him about my life. And about ten minutes later, his eyes were up with tears. And I led him to Christ. Which leads me to my next point. Point number three, witnessing is fun. <laughs> When a guy can tell you he's an atheist and ten minutes later he's crying accepting Jesus, that's fun. And let me tell you why. You say, well, you're just real, you're just a good communicator. Don't you, don't say that. Don't you dare ever accredit anything that I do to me. You better credit it to God. If you knew my past, you wouldn't even attend this church. I'm telling you. God has so set me free from so many things. And it's God, God, God. The only thing good about me is God. That's it. You can do it too. I tell you who was talking to that atheist. It was the Holy Spirit. That's who was talking to him. And the Holy Spirit knows how to present truth. It's fun. It's not a program. It's not a job. It's not something we have to do. It's fun. I asked a, a young lady one time. I was getting my hair cut. She found out I was a pastor. And she said, you know, I started going to church January 1st. She said, I decided to turn over a new leaf and go to church. I said, that's great. I said, but has anyone, has anyone told you how you can have a personal relationship with God? She, you know, she, doing this, she said, no. I said, I can tell you. And I shared with her throughout, while she's cutting my hair, when we finished, we held hands and she accepted Christ. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. And it's the funnest thing in the world. And let me tell you just a little bit about my story that you may not know. My story started before I was ever born. My grandfather was not a believer. My grandfather never went to church, didn't know anything about church, wasn't raised in church. On my mother's side, we had missionaries and pastors. On my father's side, no one was a believer before my father. No one that we know of. No pastors, no missionaries, no great men or women of God. On my mother's side, even my, my grandmother helped start a church that's still in existence today. But on my father's side, my father grew up never knowing the gospel, never knowing about church, not knowing any of this. And when my father was 16 years old, my grandfather worked with the man for the Department of Texas, for the uh, state, and his job, my grandfather's job, was to put asphalt in potholes. That was his job. And he worked with a man for one year who was a believer, and for one year this man witnessed to him. And one night he said to him, my grandfather said to him, I'd like to hear more about this. And so he said, why don't you come over after dinner tonight, and I'll show you some things in the Bible and talk to you some more about it. So that night, he gets ready. After dinner, my grandfather gets up. He's about to leave. He picks up the keys. My father was 16 years old. Think about this now. 16, and he had just gotten his driver's license. So my grandfather's about to leave. So my father said, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going over to a friend's house to talk to him. 
So my father said what any 16-year-old would say who'd just gotten his driver's license. Can I drive you? My grandfather said, well, yeah, you can drive me. So he drives him over to the house. He sits in the car for a while, listens to the radio. He gets tired after a while. He gets out. He gets, my father gets out of the car, goes up, sits on the steps of the front porch, and no air conditioning, so the door was open, but the screen door was closed. And through the screen door, for the first time in his life, my father heard the gospel. <laughs> heard that there was the Son of God named Jesus who came to this earth and died for his sins. Never heard it before in his life. And the man asked my grandfather, would you like to accept Christ? And my grandfather said, no, I want to think about it for a while. And so the man said, well, if you decide to accept him, pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And as he told the prayer to my grandfather, my father sitting on the front steps got saved. My father raised me in a Christian home. And then I, I became a Christian when I was 19 years old. And then about several years ago, my grandfather was 78 years old, and I began to get burdened. My father had told me this story, and as far as we knew, he'd never accepted Christ. Well, he hadn't. We knew he hadn't. And at a family reunion when he was 78 years old, I led my grandfather to Christ. And then about two weeks later, I got to thinking about this story, and I thought, I want to call the man who planted that seed of my grandfather and tell him, if he, I don't even know he's still alive. And so I called my father and said, do you remember that man's name? He said, his name's Ray Alexander. He lives in El Dorado, Arkansas. I think he's still alive. So I called him, and he was 81 years old. When he answered the phone, I said, do you remember Joe Morris, which was my grandfather? And he said, oh, yeah, I still pray for him. I said, you still pray for him? He said, I pray for every man that I've ever witnessed to. And I said, well, then I have good news for you. Two weeks ago, I led him to Christ. And he started crying. I said, and did you know that my father got saved that night sitting on the front porch? He said, I never knew that. And I said, and did you know that I became a Christian because of my father? And now I've been in evangelism and pastoring, and thousands of people have come to Christ. He said, I never knew any of this. I said, you, you still prayed for my grandfather? He said, yep. He said, you see, in the back of my Bible, now listen to this. In the back of my Bible, he said, I have the names of every man that I've ever shared Christ with. And when they get saved, I put a check beside their name. And your grandfather was the only name in the back of my Bible that didn't have a check beside it. And when we get off the phone, I'm going to go put a check beside your grandfather's name. One man who put asphalt in potholes 